welcome back to another edition of the Under Pressure podcast. I'm your host, Jake Barker, and we are back for year three and what is our 40th episode on the Under Pressure podcast. So I just wanted to thank you all for tuning in to the podcast and showing your support. It's been, uh, it's been fantastic and it's going to be uh, another exciting year with uh, plenty of great guests like our guests today. On today's show, our guest played 120 games for the West Coast Eagles, although playing mainly defence, managed to snag 25 goals as well. Uh, he was an All-Australian halfback in 2012 and was part of the 2006 West Coast Premiership side. Bo Waters, welcome to the Under Pressure podcast. Hello, mate. Thanks a lot for having us on. No worries. Great. Great to have you on, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, firstly, what are, what are you doing with yourself uh, at the moment? Mate, I've uh, transitioned into the, the corporate world, um, working in a role, heading up a sports practice for Jacobs, which is a professional services company, um, previously sort of focused on engineering and engineering services, and now very much a sort of technology, professional services, consulting, um, fully-fledged, uh, well-rounded business. Um, headquartered over in the US and, and, uh, and sort of satellite uh offices all around the world so it's um yeah good role heading up their their sports business involved in olympic games fifa world cups um study design um urban precinct sustainability um, lots of different things so look pretty rewarding role uh, it's been nice to be able to find something that's sports related post footy and still dip my toe and um talk talk a little bit about what i did and complement that with sort of some commercial side of things yeah, wonderful. Sort of get to get have the best of both worlds in that sort of sense with the sport and, and everything like that. That's awesome. Now, you did touch on while we were, we were off, off air before that you sort of stuck away from the, the footy side of things. Did, did you just not have that sort of passion to stay inside, maybe like coaching or, or anything like that? Um, mate, to be honest, I, I've always had a, a, a real passion for Aussie rules football. Um, and it's all I knew from from a young age. I invested <laughs> my time and energy and into that, and um, you know that was that was the focus. And then finishing up, uh, obviously, a few injuries, finished a little bit earlier than than I would have liked, and and just felt as though I needed to delineate between both a footballer and sort of who the next chapter was going to be about. Um, so did quite a bit of study when I was playing to sort of support that transition. And then thought if I could have sort of that multifaceted approach of football as, as a footballer and the things I did there and then transition more into sort of a corporate role, that there's always the opportunity to come back into, into footy, um, more yeah. so as an administrator. Uh, anyone that's watched the news over the last week or so has seen what's rolled out with, with Justin Langer and, and his role as the senior Australian coach. And, yeah. and I'm sure that happens in other roles as well, but... Sure. I just felt, I just felt like um, I didn't particularly want to go down that path. Um, mm. Not just for that reason, but just because uh, it's funny when you when you're in more of a corporate type role, the more experience you have, the more valuable you are to the company if you're any good at what you do. Whereas as a um, as a as a coach, more so, mm. um, your value sort of almost diminishes over time because you've got these young guys. Um, snapping at your heels, you know, much better, uh, much closer to the game. They've retired more recently uh, and they're sort of a new flavour. And, and so my thinking around that was as you uh, as you get older, your yeah. credit, your stock levels actually decrease, which 
it should be the other way around. So anyway, I left, <laughs> uh, I left and, and I've done sort of seven years outside of footy now and had a three different major roles. And this one sort of coming up three years, started over in Dallas, Texas and did 12, 18 months over there and then transitioned back with, uh, with COVID, the pandemic, and I haven't really left my office since. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit like, been a bit like that yeah. for everyone lately, hasn't it? It's just a bit, bit crazy. But we will di- we'll digress to the sort of the uh, injury injury side and, and the playing days uh, as well. Um, just before you got drafted, I wanted to quickly talk about, uh, did you have many injuries sort of growing up? If you can sort of remember yeah. before those times? Uh, yeah, not really. Uh, I, was, I was a relatively durable kid. I think you just bounce and bend a lot better when you're a kid as well. So oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think it's some scenarios that played out when I was a young fella. And if I did that now, I'm sure I'd snap in half. But uh, we we had a really successful team growing up, which was good as well. Um, look, that doesn't necessarily change injuries, but I was, you know, wasn't probably defending as hard as what I needed to. And, and we were sort of... <laughs> Yeah, running, running forward to the ball and kicking goals and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. I think the main injury I had growing up was a, a broken jaw, and and that was just by a concussion. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Cece, who played for Port Adelaide, mm. um, we were playing at West Adelaide at that time. I was about 16, 15, 16, playing league footy in the SANFL, and um, I was going back, and he was coming forward, and just put my jaw right where his knee went, and uh, yeah, managed to break it in the corner there and and that was the main injury sort of um growing up that, that I can remember um notwithstanding I'm you know there's a few times where I missed the ball and it hit me on the end of the finger and bent a finger but nothing too serious and all that I mean that's as a youngster that's probably that's pretty severe like it wouldn't wouldn't really get one of those normally but yeah that's that's <laughs> did you ever talk about that with Dom either later in later in years? Oh, we had a laugh about it. Yeah, a couple of years later. It's funny when you when you play a bit of SNFL with guys, or you're from the same state. There's a yeah, and sort of unsaid respect for each other. So mm. yeah, we would see each other out, you know, having a beer in the early days, or we'd play against each other. You know, obviously he went on to captain captain Port Adelaide and had a, a very successful career, and we'd often laugh about you know me putting my head in the wrong spot. And to be honest, I don't think that would have changed over the generation. I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you you could, lepers don't change their spots. They just get bigger and smaller. (laughs) That's exactly right. Exactly right. Now we'll go, go to when you got drafted. Can you enlighten us on your, your first sort of major injury that you might've had after you got drafted uh, to the Eagles, if it was uh, severe or Uh, minor or no matter what? Major injury would have been at the end of my first year. Um, so went away, had the off season after 2004, um, had uh, had a, a big break, came back, really keen to have an impact in my second year. Me and a couple of other guys invested a lot of time in the off season, was fit, um, played the first preseason game against uh, Fremantle, had quite a good game as well, actually managed to, for whatever reason, was playing forward and kicked um, kicked three and a quarter, which is, as you know, 25 goals across my whole career. <laughs> Good ratio, that one. Yeah, 12%, 12% of my goals in, in one quarter. Yeah. But, um, and then after that game, just pulled up really lame and uh, could barely walk and, 
Anyway, he spoke to the medical guys and they said, look, have a few days off. And all through my groin was just aching. And, um, and you know, I don't think you have to be a genius to work out. It was osteitis pubis. And, and so that was around mm. the time that it was starting to become more and more prominent. Yeah. Um, clearly, I, you know, it was either just my body or I trained a bit too hard through the off-season and then the pre-season. And um, anyway, subsequently had a few weeks off and nothing, nothing got better. It was just that severe. I'd, I'd go for a run and could barely walk after the run. You know, I'd be on crutches for a couple of days. And they sent me in for surgery. So I missed that entire year. We played in the grand final in 2005 and, and I didn't play one game that whole season. Oh, wow. I didn't, yeah, I didn't even realise that. It was, it was pretty prominent, that, that whole um, osteitis pubis thing back in that, in that day. It's kind of like the, the syndesmosis injury at the moment. Like it's, I think it's, there's an injury that always sort of lurks around and a lot of people. And I think now it's, it's the syndesmosis one. But yeah, I, there's a lot of OP stuff sort of, back in the day i always remember hearing it and never knowing what it was because i was just a yeah. just a young kid and you're like oh why do they keep missing so yeah. much time but as as oh, you said right. not so much <laughs> what's going on over there yeah exactly, um, exactly. imagine thinking as a kid like, what what yeah, yeah exactly and then going out like as you just said going for a run and then not being able to do anything it's like what what did it were you just not able to do it, like not able to run, not able to really, could you still work out and, and all those types of things as well? Or was it... No, 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 no. You, you, you're completely debilitated. So you don't realise how much pressure you put through your core um, and that area, even just doing weights or, you know, going for long walks. And um, it's effectively just a stress reaction in your, in your pelvis area. So you're um you're really restricted to not much at all. Like you can do finger movements, and clearly that's not going to make me a better AFL player. So um, that's about it, really. Like you could do a few weights, but that would create inflammation because you tense up too much. And so it was it was twelve months of of just rest, and that's been difficult as a young guy. Yeah, I was only I was only sort of eighteen at the time. Yeah. Um, turned nineteen halfway through the season, so. Yeah, pretty restrictive and um, made sure I followed all the protocols and did the recovery properly. And yeah, it didn't have any any uh, any sort of long-term uh, side effects, which was great. That all, that all healed up pretty quickly. Yeah, no, that, that, that's I mean, good. I missed the whole season, but geez. Yeah, exactly. Probably thinking at 19, what is this? Like, yeah. <laughs> I've only played one season. But yeah, I mean, as you said, it would have been very draining as a... 18, 19 year old to sort of have a, a year long injury. It's like, do you remember what sort of mental capacity it took for you to sort of get through that sort of thing at, at a young age? Like, I know it's not easy with even knees at the best of times, but like, yeah. it's probably something that um, you're unsure of about why it was <laughs> doing the things it was yeah, to you. Yeah. It's interesting. It was a pretty defining moment in my career, actually, because, um, you know, I've got a bit of advice around it, but I, I couldn't do the thing that I was in Western Australia to do. I had, mm. you know, concerns around what it would mean for my career um, for the long term. And so I threw myself into a heap of charity work, actually. I got involved with the Cancer Council um, through the club and uh, not really with an agenda outside of I had a bit of idle time, um, had, you know, was starting to build a bit of a reputation in WA, but also I just thought it'd be great to help out and, and be involved. And um, I recently lost my grandfather uh, to, to cancer and the club had a great um, 
I'll call it a program, but a great relationship with Cancer Council February. Anyway, I found myself spending more and more time there and just really just evolving my perspective around things. And, you know, when when you're faced with a, you know, what I would say a short-term injury versus mm. some of the kids that I was meeting and um, and some subsequently some of the adults I was spending time with, it just gave me this newfound outlook on, you know, what a challenge is, what, what hard is, um, and, and sort of where my life was at and mm. in relative terms. And, and that wasn't necessarily the purpose of doing that. But I found um, that then sort of opened up a couple of other changes for me to start thinking about, oh, well, if I, can't, if I can't do the football thing this year, yeah. what else can I work on? And so I worked a little bit on, on that sort of philanthropy work. I worked a bit on myself just around, you know, sort of read quite a bit, um, started a couple of bits of study, uh, got that going, um, sort of invested a bit more time into some of the more subtle things. So I was doing a bit of Pilates um, and, you know, and this is a, a sort of a philosophy that I tried to carry through for the rest of my career was if, if I can't do... A, then yeah. rather than rue the fact that I can't do A, it gives me the opportunity to do B and C, which I normally can't do because I'm time poor or resource depleted or too tired or whatever that might be. So yeah. I invest a heap of time into stuff that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Um, and, and so then the same was true when I'd get a lower limb injury later in my career or an elbow injury. It would mean that I could spend a heap of time on running and strengthening my core and doing a lot of glute exercises and leg exercises or if it was a knee injury i could spend a heap of time on building my upper body swimming um you know spending more time uh doing um beach walking which is great for um sort of uh plyometrics or the sort of yeah. all the muscles in your feet mm. and so i started to see um every sort of setback as an opportunity and you know, it's not always easy to do that. I'm not saying that I was you know, every day was like bliss and how good this that I've been gifted this other opportunity. There were days where I was kicking the cat and, you know, this sucks and I, I would much rather be doing what I feel like I'm here to do and that's playing for footy, yeah. clearly. But um, in order to get through those extended periods of downtime or layoff, I've just had to reframe my perspective. And yeah. And I think that's the key to a lot of things. And really, if you think about disappointment just in its totality, mm. the main reason we get disappointed is because um, our expectations aren't met. So if you change your perspective or your expectation, it limits the, the, the level of disappointment. Mm. Definitely. definitely. That was just what, what worked for me. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, as you said, perspective is a wonderful thing. And like you had it at a young age. So you got to learn all the, like you got to learn how to do this young and, and sort of it was, you were able to sort of grow yourself all the way through and, and help, um, help yourself. And I think that's, that's one of the best things. And I, I try and do that as well. Like keep myself busy and, um, and doing things that may, may help me or may help others. Like you said, with the cancer council and you're helping yourself with knee injuries, you do some upper body stuff and just making sure you're looking after yourself and others and, and learning about, lots of different things so um i think that's that's a good way good way of doing it and i think um a lot of people could take could definitely take someone something from it and i know as you said it's not for not for everyone but but hey if it, if it is you can always give even even if it's not give it a go and 
and see what you can see what you can make of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now you you mentioned with the uh, the head knock with uh, Dom Cassisi before. Did, did you have many head knocks uh, throughout your career with the concussion and and different things like that? You mentioned as you mentioned before. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. I think a lot of players do. Um, mm. Yeah, I certainly had my fair share of of head knocks and and you know subsequent concussions and um, you know there were different rules in place back then. So we. We, um, in the early years, it was very much about, you know, what's the score kicking and that was enough to get you back on the field. Mm. Um, and then as that progressed, then there was um, sort of criteria that you had to meet. Uh, you do a test at the start of the year, like a cognitive test of how quickly you can problem solve on a computer. Uh, and then you would have to re repeat that test on a Monday after you've um, experience some kind of head knock or concussion and you had to be in a certain time frame so um, you know rather guys weren't able to just um, fudge the test the original test because it was so receptive to time um, that yeah. if it was too slow you failed uh, and so that that came in and then um, the most recent changes they happened after I finished so yeah. it was it was look if you can if you don't have any symptoms headaches dizziness um, don't need to lie in the dark room and you can pass this cognitive test, then you're free to play. And so I don't think I missed any games from concussion. I've had a series of, of head knocks and it, it really gets a bit scary when you have two or three in a row after yeah. a couple of weeks. Um, but no real, you know, lasting side effects that I'm aware of at this stage. So <laughs> uh, that's, that's positive. I still, you know, know my name, where I live and all that sort of stuff and my wife's name. So I think I, I do appreciate and I think it's a very sensitive approach that the one that the NFL's taken um, with concussion in recent years. And, you know, I think that that whole piece has evolved. If I think about when I started to now, it's been this natural evolution of protecting the players' heads. And to be frank, I wouldn't be surprised in you know, two years, five years, 10 years, if it's mandatory that players wear some kind of protective helmet, if that's going to be a benefit, if they can prove that that's actually beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they even implement that just for optics. So things like that will take place in the coming years that further protect our players because we've seen some really great players um, retire from, from uh, significant head injuries and concussions and you know, we've, we've seen a couple of players, you know, one in particular take their life. Now, whether we know that that was directly linked to concussion or not, I'm, I'm not sure. And I know it's acutely um, linked to his mental health and uh, ill mental health. And that's the, that's the extreme circumstance, but that, you, you, that no game is, is more important than an individual's life. So, yeah, tough task for, for the administrators in the game at the moment, trying to make sure that they protect the players the best they can, as well as um, create the spectacle that the fans want to see. Yeah, for sure. And, and you're right, it has sort of slowly progressed and it, and it is getting better. And I think you're right, it'll it'll progress to something else in the future. And look, the good thing is that they're worried about the head and, and they're continue, slowly but continually wanting to uh, improve that side of the game sure. because obviously you don't want things, uh, like you just mentioned, to sort of inhibit people. Um, in their everyday life and and post career as well, it's not something you, you want to deal with. So, um, 
they're doing what they can at the moment with the the resources, which is which is good. Now, in terms of in terms of rehab and injuries throughout uh, your career, and un- understand obviously the perspective you gained earlier in your career. Um, how good how good were you with your your rehab every time that you you had an injury? Were you were you good, or were you, sometimes you might slip slip under something, or <laughs> was it, uh, or you straight down I, the line got it done? I, I, it depends who you ask, I guess. Um, in my mind, I was very good, and and uh, I was, you know, and what I've probably learned post career is I was potentially. Um, potentially too focused and and too I was too keen to fast track things so I was really impatient as a player I always wanted to get back as quick as possible and probably didn't realize that that had implications so in my mind if I had some kind of um, injury that was meant to take eight weeks I, I would try and get back in four weeks or six weeks and so I'd put massive pressure on my system massive pressure on the, on the physios and the team to make sure that we were hitting all of the targets along the way, um, not not missing a beat and being methodical about it, but doing things probably a little bit too early uh, for where where my body was at, and then that may or may not have led to other um, other issues. So I was really diligent. I always followed protocol. I probably just did what they were expecting a week or two too early. <laughs> um, so to, you know, in my mind, it was always a you know, came from the right place and I wanted to get back and I want to be part of the team and I want to be back on the field. Mm. I'm sure that the physios and doctors were pulling their hair out, but this guy just won't, won't freaking listen. He's just <laughs> like, dude, we're the experts, listen to us. And I'd always sort of challenge that. I'd say, well, you know, a time frame is only a time frame because that's the way people have done it previously. Why are we working to that? Why don't we base it on symptoms and, and uh, make it more of a symptomatic approach where... You know, if you do a session and you heal well from it and recover, then you advance to the next one rather than having such an elongated recovery time. Now, that's not, you know, I don't know if that's the right approach, but in my mind, that was the thing that got me back quicker and quick as possible. And I don't know if that had um, sort of, you know, compounding effects on other other parts of my body or put, put duress on other parts of the body that wouldn't otherwise experience it that led to other injuries. I don't have that information, but so long, long. That's a long answer. The short answer is I was really getting <laughs> rushed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. Can you remember a time where you went, oh, "I may have come back too early here," or did you just no, you didn't really think about that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah. I had a um, I had a, I did a knee. I hurt my knee, and it wasn't a major surgery. I had a meniscus tear, and I, I got yeah. that repaired. Mm. And that's typically a four to six week, you know, if not six to eight with a big, big meniscus. And, and um, mm. anyway, I had it on the Thursday and I played not that Saturday, the following Saturday. And so it was 10 days. It was 10 days. 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it was not a, a big meniscus tear. It wasn't taking the whole meniscus out. It was just, you know, yeah. tightening it up. And I managed to get all the swelling out. I'd had quite a few of them before. So I knew knew how I could push it. And then anyway, I, I kept going. Like I had no setbacks from it. But in retrospect, I probably could have taken the extra week just to calm the farm and, um, you know, do a bit more rehab and get, get back out. 
Oh, that's impressive. That's for someone with plenty of knee injuries. Wish I could get over get over them in ten days. Like that's yeah, that's that's well, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's it. No, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, your your biggest injury. Uh, you may have mentioned it before, but um, what what over your career? Do you remember your biggest injury? Was it the OP? Was it this little? Was it the knee injury? Like, what was your biggest injury over your whole career? Oh, I think the two, the two, so I missed a year with OP. Yeah. Um, but the two that sort of have lasting effects now that I still, uh, I, I still know about, mm. one was the elbow. So I dislocated my elbow in, in 2000 and 2008, about halfway through that. Had to have three reconstructions on that over a, almost a two year period and missed, missed effectively two years of footy. So mm. about, Round nine through to round one of 2010. Yeah. Um, so I had a reconstruction on it. Reconstruction failed. Had another reconstruction on it that failed. Then went to Sydney. Had uh, my hamstring um, transposed into the medial and lateral um, to replace the medial and lateral ligaments of my uh, of my elbow, and then reattached my tricep um, to the back of the elbow. Yeah. And and then move the ulnar nerve. So the ulnar nerve, which normally runs through a little gunnel in your elbow, put yeah. that down on my arm um, because that was going numb and creating numb, numbness in my fingers. Anyway, so I missed I missed almost two years with that, and that was quite difficult because I do the I'd have the reconstruction and I'd spend you know three months getting back or four months, and then I'd go to play or go to train, and it would fail again. So I'd have to go back and start from scratch. It wasn't had a surgery and then it failed and then, you know, go back in a week later. So mm. it was like 12 to 16 weeks of rehab, failed. 12 to 16 weeks of rehab, failed. And then had then they said, look, you're not playing any of this. You're not playing any of 2009, but I had the surgery in January. Okay. You're not playing any of 2009, we're just going to get you back to 2010. So I spent full 15 months of just getting ready for March and then played round one against Brisbane in 2010. So that was, that was big. That was big. And, and I was 20, I was only 23 at that stage, I think. 20, 20, yeah, wow. 22, 22 to 24. So it was a big, but again, I, you know, it was, a, it was a huge, huge time in in my sort of career and my thinking. And and yeah, I started my MBA, got partway through that. Um, yeah. I was doing a heap of work experience. And so again, that's, that comes back to that whole perspective piece. I, I just invested time into other things. Um, I, yeah, obviously missed a lot of footy, which was disappointing, but made the most of it. I wasn't sitting around um, crying over spilt milk, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's and it. Then, yeah. And then the other one that ultimately led to my retirement, um, my sort of what I would say is my premature retirement was, mm. um, was a shoulder injury. So I had a dislocated shoulder, relatively innocuous um had that operated on in 2010 and it was just a, you know, a run of the mill shoulder injury. Yeah. Had a whole re, um, reconstruction, fixed that. And then in 2013 or 20, 2013, I think it was, um, dislocated it again and had to go in and have a Latigee, um shoulder reconstruction. Yeah. And so I had that reconstruction and then um, two weeks later it got infected and, uh. um, I, no fault of my own, no fault of really of anyone. And so they had to go in, 
clean it out. And the thing there, you have to take all the foreign metals out. So you have to unconstruct the reconstruction. So they unconstructed that, then had a period of time, of, um, I think, say six weeks or eight weeks of having no infection before you can go in and have the surgery again. Yeah. And so did that, did that, got infected again. Oh. And so, so, yeah, so then, so then had to go on a pick line, which is like a, you know, antibodies going direct into your, into your heart underneath your armpit. Yeah. And had, uh, had that for, for a couple of months and then got to go in back and have the last bit of surgery and they tightened it up. The problem was that the infection ate, um, I don't know the number, say a quarter of my labrum. And if anyone's a doctor or a medical professional that's listened to this <laughs> question, I'm sorry, I'm just going on my memory. Yeah, um, no, no, for sure. Yeah, no, continue. Um, and so, um, and I ate a quarter of the labrum. So the stability of the shoulder, it doesn't, yeah. it had a bone block in there to lock it in, but it had, it kept dropping out. So I could get big and strong and, and, and be, you know, look physically ready to play a game of footy. But as soon as it had pressure at the wrong angle, it would just sublux. And then oh. that would result in sort of your, your numbness in your hand and, you know, a whole heap of other factors that was, quite debilitating in the sense that you can't mark a ball or tackle someone if your shoulder just keeps subluxing. Well, <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent yeah. the next 12 months just trying to get stronger and stronger and bigger. And, and, uh, yeah, I was, was as fit, like to the eye I was, was really fit and, and strong and running well, but I just couldn't do any contact work. I couldn't, um, couldn't do one-on-one body work. I couldn't tackle, uh, I couldn't do anything that sort of moved the shoulder outside of just a very singular plane back and forward. And so, yeah, had a had a conversation with um, with Adam Simpson, and I still had two years to run on my contract. So you know, I was 20, 28 at the time, and you know, I mm. thought I thought I still had two plus, maybe four, two to four years if I if my body held up. But that, but it didn't have a chat with Adam Simpson and and his comment. And the club's comment was, look, we've, we've sort of got a duty of care to you to say, hey, we don't think um, we don't think it's working. And I said, so, said to him, it's not. You know, I've, I've tried everything. You've seen me. I can't um, I can't even get through a kick to kick barely. Um, and so yeah. made the decision to retire and um, played my first, kicked the footy pretty much for the first time two weeks ago in a charity match for. Uh, <laughs> mental health where um got a yeah. phone call from yeah to say hey come and come and play in this practice game um and some of the old retired west coast guys are, uh, are doing something for lifeline and for happiness yeah. coach against uh against the old dockers guys with des headland heading up that team he said come oh, on have a run around and, and that was it that's the last that's the sort of the first time of really kicked the ball since and um and even after that to be honest i'll tell you what if a champion darted dream team points i, I didn't get any points for tackling that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> no extra points there no all the all no. kicking kicking and effective disposals but um yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, i mean having an injury like that it's sort of it almost just like decided the the end of your career and like how does how do you like, how do you contemplate that? How do you? When was your first thought that, okay, this this is it. This is going to be. This is done. When did you know that you had yeah. to you had to call it, even though you had two years left? 
Yeah, it's funny. I remember it really clearly. I was, I was, it was tra at training. We were playing a handball game, which um, is in a confined space, a square, and you've got like four on four or six on six or whatever the number is. And we're playing a handball game, and Matty Prittis ran past, and I put my arm out to just slow him down because it's not, it's tackling, but it's not, you know, it's not yeah. really serious preseason. And I put my <laughs> arm out and barely, barely touched him, and that, and and it just you know, went again, which was about the, mm -hmm. call it the 15th time for that month. But mm. that was, that was the moment when, um, when I knew, I just, I went home and, and, uh, and it's funny, they say, when you know, you know, and I, 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 yeah, I had, it was really clear in my head that that was, that was the end of my career, that it was finished. And it, it was, um, it was funny because, People often ask, you know, was it disappointment or sadness or whatever? And it, it was none of those. It was just, I felt if that same thing had happened 12 months before, then I think there would have been an element of the what if or the unknown. But I knew that I'd done absolutely everything over that last year to get myself in the best possible shape mm. um, and give myself the best possible opportunity to, to go ahead for the 2015 season. And it just didn't work out. So, um, you know, it was a very rational thought process of you're not up to it. Your body's not up to it. You can either keep trying to flog a dead horse or you can sort of, you know, cut your losses, have a conversation with the club. Um, they were, yeah, they had a similar frame of mind. They saw that whole sequence of events unfold. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think... In my mind, I um, had had just left everything out there. So, um, in a perfect world, you go on, you play 200 games, and you win more premierships, and you retire when you're 34, 35. But the, you know, for me, I'd I'd really given it my all, and uh, and to this day, I have have no regrets with how um, how I sort of went about things and how. I handled that last period of time to give myself the best opportunity. So if if the retirement had been later, I think post-football would have looked a little bit differently, maybe gone away and done some travel for a period of time, six months or 12 months, and had some time off to refresh. Given that it finished so, so quickly, um, I threw myself into work. So I got a job with West Farmers in their M&A team, where yeah. Richard Goyd was the the CEO at the time, mm. uh, which is a really um, time exhaustive role. Mm. And, and so that, that, and then, and just stepped away from football completely. I don't, I think I went to one game in 2015 um, and just threw myself into my work for the next couple of years. And then, um, and also started to pursue sort of Ironman triathlon as well, which um, look, swimming's just such a small part of that, that it's just running and riding. So yeah. So that was a big time investment there. And really from there, never, never really looked back, just thought, how do we move forward here and get on with life? Yeah. And it sort of draws back to that, that perspective that you got at a young age, I think. And I mean, it, it's, yeah, I mean, obviously not ideal that you, you wanted to end your career then and there, but um, as you said, sometimes, you, you know, when your time, your time's up and unfortunately it was then, but you, you can look back on a, pretty pretty wonderful and successful career that you had so and that's 
I mean, that that's everything. And I think something that you'll look back on for the rest of your life, which is, which is wonderful. Yeah, I think so. And I think that you, you sort of, you know, I'm not the most spiritual person, but I think things do happen for a reason. And, you know, one, one door closes and another opens. And, uh, you know, unfortunately I've got a fantastic role. I did the work to do study and get, get ready for that transition. You know, footy is, is a finite existence. That's just the, that's the reality of it. So if I finished when I was 28 or I was 32, it's, you know, it, it's kind of superfluous to the long term, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would have had a few more games to my name and it would have been you know, great to be in the system a bit longer, but I would have had to get to that road anyway. That, that fork in the road of your career is finished, you're retired, you can't play forever, you've got to transition into a role or whether it's in football or the commercial world or start your own business, whatever, or a trade, whatever that next chapter and that next phase looks like, it was, it was approaching and it just came a little bit sooner. So there's no point wallowing for too long about the fact that it came a bit earlier than, than I predicted but um, it had, and it was much later than a lot of other people, right? So That's like it. you said, I managed to get you know, 12 odd years in the, at the elite level, which was, which was great, great grounding. And now, you know, I've been out for seven years and doing other things in, in the sort of corporate and commercial world. Moving a bit of a happier side, I guess. Um, do you- yeah. Do you watch much? Do you watch much gay? I know you were you were talking about you probably only went to one game in 2015 or, or, or anything like that. Do you do you watch much football these days, or is it sort of low key football still, or anything like that? Um, watch a little bit. I, I was lucky enough to get um, made a life member of the footy club uh, late 2020. So with that, you get um, the opportunity to get two tickets to every game and. Uh, you know, and some really lovely seats as well. So um, my partner Bell and I, we we go, you know, quite often go and watch watch the Eags live. If we're not there, we'll have it on TV, and um, sometimes sit down in front of it with with sort of a beer and and watch the game. Sometimes it's just on, on in the background. Um, I don't shape my weekends around the footy uh, per se, but yeah. still really interested and invested in in the footy club, of course. Um, I've still got some of my really good mates are, are currently playing there and, and the club yeah. is like, like mm. family. So, uh, and then more broadly, still very much keep an eye on um, the, the sort of competition and how it's going. You know, I'm particularly interested in how they're managing the optics of, of COVID, you know, rule changes, um, potential expansion teams and sort of the business side of football now is, is really interesting. Um, yeah. Clearly watching it on a weekend and seeing that the guys go out there and have a run around and um, bash each other up. It's still, yeah, you know, elicits a few old emotions, which is, which is quite cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and watch my fair share of footy, but, you know, being fully transparent, I'm not someone that sits there and watches, you know, game after game on a weekend. Yeah, no, that, that, that's fair. It's good, good to keep in touch, I guess, as well. And obviously, you said lots of lots of uh, friends and whatnot still playing, and probably some that some that aren't. But yeah, it's always that thing you can look back on, and and you can even yeah. go to games with those guys as well, which is uh, which is awesome. Now, did you have a did you have a team growing up? Was it was it 
you grew up in Adelaide, was that? Is that right? Or yeah, grew, grew up in Adelaide. Yeah, I'd say I would say it was Adelaide, and yeah. Adelaide was you know successful in those years as well. We won the um, 97, 98 premierships. You know, I was a young fellow coming through, and our our school colours were actually Adelaide Crows colours, so that was quite cool. Um, <laughs> oh, winner, yeah. Yeah, and then a couple of years after that, I probably stopped supporting a team really vocally um, and just started to support players. Um, and so I was a huge Nathan Buckley fan. I love love watching him play. I was a massive Wusher fan as well, um, particularly in those early years. And funnily enough, I actually had a West Coast jersey, the old, um, I forget the name, the colour, but the really um, orange. Oh, yeah. West Coast. Yeah, so when that came out, I had a had one of those I got one for my birthday. It was the only guy in South Australia effectively <laughs> running around that. Yeah. I love Wusher so much. And yeah. so yeah, I don't know. And then yeah, just pretty much supported individual players and watched them. Um so I'd watch a game, I'd watch Collingwood play just to see Buckley play, or I'd watch West Coast play yeah, a little bit to see Cuz, but mainly to watch watch Wusher run around on a halfback play. Um, yeah, obviously love Modra growing up as well. Godra when he was playing in Adelaide. So <laughs> but yeah, bit of a different outlook once I sort of hit those early, early teen years. Yeah, no, that I definitely not what you not probably not the norm either with like young sort of sports fans. Like they they're always like having that that team that they go for and whatnot. Obviously, yeah. probably Eagles hold you hold a bit closer nowadays, but early on, my oh. kids always <laughs> they're just like, nah up the cats or bombers or, yeah, yeah. or whoever they go for. It's just, <laughs> they always got to have their team. I do like to do this thing at the end, end of the podcast where we sort of do a bit of a draft. Now, I was listening to some of your players there, which I thought would, would work well with these. And I was going to say, we'll draft out some of our favourite players growing up. Do you want to kick things off? Yeah, so you know, number one is Nathan Buckley by yeah. long way. Yeah, yeah, nah, for sure, he was he was he was awesome, and and he was great to watch too. Now I I'm obviously going to go um, my man in the top corner. If though those of you who are watching this on video, uh, Jimmy Bartel is probably my number one. I know it's probably a bit controversial, but yeah, no, I'm very uh, I'm one of my favourite players ever, and still still watch some highlights of today. So <laughs> yeah, awesome. very good. Um, Number two for me is was Wusher. Yeah. And that was before I came to West Coast, obviously. So yeah, one Buckley, two Wusher. Yeah, that's yeah, a couple of good ones there. And good and good people as well, I think, outside of outside of uh, playing, even yeah. in coaching too, was uh, they're awesome. Um look, I, I promise I won't keep a Geelong theme, but I've got to go Gaz. Um yeah, he next level. Even even when he was playing for the Suns, I was still watch still watching him, and, and obviously he's one of the greats. So um, always always watched him, even when he was that long haired half forward flanker. I'm, he was uh, <laughs> still watching him then. He was a bit like his father back then, but um, yeah, watched him right through. So yeah, can't leave him off the list. No, it's understandable. One of the greatest of all time. Um, yeah. My number three is back to Adelaide. It would be Michael Shudo growing up the Rue. He's oh. 32, so he's, you know, I, I um, got to know him personally as well. Growing up a little bit, you know, we had the same manager, so that was a, a bit of a highlight for me. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. No, definitely. Yeah, meeting them would be fantastic. I'd love to meet any of these guys, I reckon. Yeah. 
Um, number three for me, look, I probably, it's probably a bit of a strange one, but I actually, I was a big fan of, uh, probably one of your teammates. Uh, I was a fan of Mark Lacroix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I just had an obsession. Uh, Sorry. He kicked six in that charity game on two weeks ago. Oh, no, I just, I just, I think it was because I mean I, when I when I played when I was when I was younger and whatnot I was sort of that that medium sized sort of forward and I always watched yeah. him I always his marking overhead his his yeah. kick for goal I just so yeah. everything was just so methodical and I think it, it kicked twelve was it against the bombers up at um, thirteen thirteen actually yeah I think you're right thirteen it was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah, so, head Stadium, yeah, thirteen. Yeah, I think uh, probably a bit of a strange run for those listening, but yeah, no, I was a big, big fan of uh, big fan of Mark Lacroix growing up. I'm not going to tell him that because he's a terrible bloke, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get him on. I'll have to get him on and tell him. He's a better bloke than his footballer, so um, <laughs> that's the same thing. Um, number, number four for me, uh, sticking with the Adelaide theme, is Godra. Tony Modra growing up just that was really my young when I was a kid young young kid and just watching some of his marks and how high he jumped and you know I remember some of that stuff he was doing I think one mark of the year two or three years in a row was just so impressive that was the era that um, Dunstall, Ablett, Modra were all kicking over 100 goals in a season and that was yeah super cool. I mean you I mean you're not going to see that much these days are you like it's just uh, it's probably not. Buddy did it in two thousand and eight. Yeah, that was, and I don't know when the ne- <laughs> don't know when the next time is probably no. going to be. You just don't see those massive, massive bags anymore, do you? It's just, no. Um, no, it's crazy. Um, now oh, my fourth one. Um, I, I actually I was thinking of, of the great man you just mentioned, then Buddy. I think having him on a, uh, just watching him as a young kid, and I mean as a forward as well. I, I really enjoyed watching his craft and obviously he was quite young when I was sort of coming up the ranks. So it's sort of just been able to watch him right throughout um, his career, even for both Hawthorne and for, um, for Sydney. I know he gave me plenty of heartache when he was playing for Hawthorne as well. <laughs> those, all those games, especially the, uh, the GF, you know, eight, but um, yeah. yeah, he's, uh, he's certainly one I, I, I watched and, and looked up to as well. Yeah. Well, literally, he's six foot five. So no, he's a that's a good that's a good one. He's a super impressive player. Um, the fifth one for me is a little bit strange, uh, and it's back on to Collingwood actually. Oh and yeah. I, um, is that Chris Tarrant? So the Tasman. And oh wow! Yeah, that is yeah. <laughs> so was, this. Yeah, so he was like absolute champion when um, when Collingwood were, were good in those early two thousands and. Uh, I don't know, just love the way he went about it. He, he yeah, it was a bit hit and miss and frustrating at times as a spectator. But uh, yeah, again, um, that mark of the year that he took, I think, against Essendon was you know, a big highlight for me um, watching that on TV. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. That was, was that against, I think that was against the Cats, wasn't it? On the, on the goal line? Was no, it no, no I'm, I'm not sure. I couldn't tell. I just, Actually, one of my best mates, Nizzy, had uh, he had that photo up at his house, and I spent a lot of time in this place. He's like, uh, we <laughs> so we played pool, and the Taz was up there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's 
that's awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, now my last one, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to, back to my guys. Um, probably a bit of a, bit of a different one, but I'm going to go with uh, Corey Enright. I think oh. very, very fantastic defender. Um, great one-on-one, great kick, great leader. Um, sort of really went under the radar almost his entire career, I reckon. And, 340 games, like 320 games, like crazy. Yeah, he had, uh, I think he had the, rec- the Geelong record for a while there. He broke the record when Jimmy um, brought up his 300th as well. And yeah, he's just, yeah, well, he was the game's record holder. I think Joel passed it last last year's finals. I think he did. Um, um, so yeah, he's just just a great player to watch. And obviously, and he unfortunately just moved just moved to the Saints as an assistant coach. He was uh, with us with us for a little bit, but now he's uh, off to St Kilda for um, bigger and better things. But yeah, no, definitely uh, a great player and underrated too. Awesome. Yeah, no, th- I mean that's probably all we got all we got time for, mate. I really appreciate you uh, um, coming on and and joining the podcast. It's been great having a chat, and um, thanks for providing your. Uh, all your insight over your, over your career and uh, the injuries that you had as well as uh, at the younger age and, and through those middle years too. I'm sure um, everyone's got a whole lot out of it. So once again, thank you, mate. No worries, man. Appreciate you having me on and yeah, great questions and all the best with it and keep fighting the good fight. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now, yeah. remember to like, share and subscribe all our socials, Facebook at Under Pressure Podcast, Instagram and Twitter at Under Pressure One underscore and be sure to subscribe to uh, Under Pressure Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, TuneIn app and all that good stuff. Um, once again, thanks to Bo for joining me here on the Under Pressure Podcast. That's it here and we'll see you on the next